Well, good morning. Welcome again to Bridgewater. Uh, glad you joined us today. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, glad you could join us as we get back to in-person services. We had uh, two weeks off, um, one of which was our plan, one of which was God's, and we weren't aware of that plan. Uh, but we're glad that we could be uh, back with you uh, again and that the weather is not preventing us from that. And uh, <clears throat> before we get into the message, I have an update for you. If you've uh, been with us since uh, June of last year, you know that we are in a time of transition and we are looking for another pastor to serve here uh, in Halstead, and we've been trying to update you with where we're at in that process uh, once every month. And so this is your update for this month, and this month I'm excited to announce that we have uh, a lead on a solid candidate that uh, we are hopeful could be the next campus pastor for Halstead. Uh, and so he is going to be meeting with several different leadership groups in the coming weeks. Uh, and so that's really all I have for you at this point because we're still kind of early in the process. Uh, but we're excited. We're hopeful um, for where God might lead. But what, here's what I would ask of you um, in this time. I would ask that you be praying. I'd ask that you be praying for wisdom for clarity and for direction for this man and his wife um, and for our leadership team as we begin to meet with him and figure out, is, is this a good fit? Because you can be a, a great person and you can have a great church, but sometimes it's just not the right fit. Um, and so we want to make sure that this is God's leading, this is God's direction, because we don't want to go where he's not leading. Um, so I'd ask you to pray. I'm actually going to pray now, and then we'll, we'll get into the message. So let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your church. God, thanks for how you're using it to change lives like Matt's life. Um, God, we ask that you'd continue uh, to use this <clears throat> church to make more and better disciples, and that as we, uh, as we look back at 2023, God, it's, it's fun to think about all the things that you did, and as we look forward to 24, God, we know that you're going to do even more. Uh, and so, God, we ask that you'd use this church. God, we ask that you'd use this campus, and as we're in a time of transition, um, God, would you give us patience? Um, God, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us clarity? Would you you give us direction? Would you help this man and his wife? Would you make it incredibly clear if this is where you're leading? Because we don't want to go where you're not. God, we want to be right in the center of where you're leading. Um, and so we ask that you give us great clarity, wisdom, direction, um, insight, discernment as we, as we continue in this process. Thank you so much for Jesus and for all that he has done for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we are in week two of our series uh, that we're calling The Final Countdown, looking at if this is, in fact, the end and, and what that means for how we should be uh, living our lives today in 2024. Uh, if you were with us last week online, we talked about the conflict in the Middle East and how that really started thousands of years ago in Genesis as a result of Abraham and Sarah's decision to try and take a shortcut. And what did we learn? Shortcuts don't work. They don't end up being a shortcut, they end up being a detour, and they end up taking way longer than we thought, and they end up leading to all kinds of things that we did not plan. Shortcuts do not work. We talked about what if we learned to obey God the first time, and then we ended talking about the fact that we need to live ready because the return of Jesus is near. Hopefully, as you came in this morning, you got uh, one of these note sheets. If not, now might be a good time to grab one if you would like one. And this is just something we're doing in this uh, series to just try and be helpful to you. Um, and so you'll, some of the, the main points is, are mostly filled out here. And um, so you could uh, take advantage of that. If you do want the one from last week, um, you can get it if you want to uh, collect them all and 
sell them on eBay because I'm sure they'll be worth tons of money. Um, just kidding. Um, you could do that, but um, the, the last week's is available at the Welcome Center. But I did want to let you know while we're talking about it that we do have message notes all the time on our app. Um, and so if you would like to, if you're somebody who likes to uh, do things on your phone, you like technology, um, you could take notes right on the app um, all the time, not just in this series, but that's something that's available every single Sunday. Um, so that app actually has a lot of really helpful things, and that's one of them. So just wanted to, to make you aware of that, and I uh, hope that you are, uh, would encourage you to take notes, um, not because I have amazing things to say, but because we're talking about God's Word, um, and God's Word is really, really important. Um, and so that's just, again, a resource for you. But this week, we want to pick up where we left off last week, where we, we ended with saying that we need to live ready. But what does it mean to live ready? Like, how do we do that? In the middle of 2024, everything that's going on in our world, what does it look like to live ready for the return of Jesus? How can we make sure that we're ready for that? And I think the concept of being ready, I think it means different things to different people, right? Like some of you, to be ready means that you've thought through every possibility and you have prepared for every possibility and you have everything in place and you've checked every single box. That's what it means to be ready. Others of you, um, you're a little bit more like, kind of like to figure things out as you go. And so being ready means you've spent about maybe three seconds thinking about it, right? Those of you who know me know that I would fall in the first category. Um, I like to be ready. I like to have things prepared. I was asked often growing up if I was in Boy Scouts um, because I was just that kid that was ready for whatever. I always had the things that I could possibly need. In case you're curious, I wasn't. Never did Boy Scouts. Um, I don't know why. I just didn't. But um, Joanne and I, are, are we're uh, newly parents. Our son Solomon, he turned uh, two months old on Wednesday. And uh, when it came time for his birth, we wanted to make sure that we were ready. We wanted to make sure that we were prepared. We wanted to make sure that we had everything in place. And Joanna's a planner like I am, maybe not to the extreme that I am, but we both like to plan. Um, and so we set out to make sure that we had everything set up, everything in place. We were gifted a, a used crib that needed some paint before, actually I think it was when we were still trying to get pregnant. And so I think I had that thing painted and set up in our room when we were in like the first trimester. Like we hadn't even told people we were pregnant yet. And I was like, let's just get this done. I want to get the, everything ready. I want to get it all prepared. I think we had the hospital bag and the diaper bag packed when she was like seven months pregnant. Um, we found one of those like lists online of like, here's all the things you might want in a hospital bag. And we're like, okay, let's go over that like 15 times. Um, make sure that we've got all the, the snacks and the clothes and the chargers and the uh, going home outfit for Solomon and like just all that stuff. We wanted to make sure that we were as ready as we possibly could be. We put the car seat uh, base in both cars. Again, probably like seven months pregnant. Just like want to be ready. You know, we never know what might happen. Um, that's just kind of, we wanted to make sure that we were prepared. Wanted to make sure that we were ready to go. And so on November 10th, when I woke up at like 4 a.m. to find that my wife was in early labor, it did not take me that long to get the car ready. I had to grab like two bags and throw them in the car, and we were pretty much ready to go. And while I was freaking out still a little bit, I knew that we had prepared for this. I knew that we were ready. I knew that we had everything that we needed in these two bags, and we just needed to throw them in the car, and we could go. We'd gone over this list uh, a dozen times. We checked and rechecked to make sure that we had everything. We were prepared for this. And so we got to the hospital, and uh, Solomon was born that afternoon. And um, it was a pretty great, crazy day for us, obviously. Well, mostly a crazy day for Joanna, right? Uh, but one thing I'm super thankful for is that we were prepared. We stayed in the hospital maybe, I think it was two nights, and we had all the clothes, we had all the snacks, which are very important, um, especially when you're gluten-free like my wife is. You've got to make sure you have your snacks. Um, we had the chargers. We had the, like everything that we needed, we were pretty much prepared for, and I'm super thankful for that. And what we want to do in this message is we want to look at how we can be prepared. How can we be ready for the return 
of Jesus. We don't know exactly when that is happening. With pregnancy, you kind of have a window where you're pretty sure that the delivery is going to happen, but you don't know the day and you don't know the hour. And in a similar way, do not know the day. We do not know the hour that Jesus is going to return. And so we want to make sure that we're not caught off guard. We want to make sure that we're ready, that we are prepared. And in Mark chapter 13, Jesus is asked about the end times. He's asked about the end of the world. And he answers by giving some some things that need to happen before uh, the world ends. And we looked at that a little bit last week online, and we're going to talk about it more next week. And so I hope you come back for that. But at the end of that, he starts, Jesus starts talking about how we need to be on guard and we need to be alert because it could happen really at any moment. So let's look at what he says, Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 32. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. That would be Jesus. So Jesus does not know. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return, in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. So Jesus says in these verses that no one knows when he will return. Even Jesus doesn't know, only the Father. How that works, I'm not really sure. (laughs) But Jesus says, I don't even know, only the Father knows. And so if you hear someone predicting a date for the end of the world, um, you can go ahead and just kind of turn them off because they're claiming to know something that Jesus doesn't know. Um, And that's not a great place to be. We cannot, we will not know. And so if you're hoping in this series to get some definite picture of the end times and when exactly that's all gonna happen, I'm sorry, but we're gonna disappoint you a little bit on that because Jesus said that we cannot know. But since we can't know, he tells us to live ready, to be prepared, to be on, uh, to be watching, to be on guard, to, to be looking for him, to be ready at any moment for him to come back. See, life is far too short. Eternity is far too long. And Jesus' return is far too important to be caught off guard. And so what does it look like for us to live ready in 2024? On the last book of the Bible, Revelation, Jesus gives some insight into what is going to happen before the end of the world and really how we are to live ready for that. And so I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 1. That's where we're going to Chapter 1 and chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. And Revelation is a book that's written by a man named John, and it's really a message that he received directly from Jesus Christ. And we're going to see in, these, uh, in Revelation that there's really two steps to living ready, two steps for us to live ready for the return of Jesus. So Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John. And so John starts with telling us where this is coming from. This is coming from Jesus Christ himself, and he gives us the purpose. It's to show his servants what soon must take place. Then he continues his introduction. Let's skip down to verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. 
All glory to him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. So John starts out his letter with this really description of who Jesus is. You see, before he gets into any future events, John wants us to understand who Jesus actually is. And so this is really where we find our first step to living ready. If we're going to live ready, we number one, we need to know who Jesus is. And that might not sound super exciting, might not sound super insightful, it might not sound very end-timey, if that's a word, I'm going to make it up and pretend it's a word, but John thought that it was important. John thought that before we even got into that, we need to make sure we understand who Jesus is. And I think many of us assume we know who Jesus is, but my question for us would be, do, when we think of Jesus, does this Jesus come to mind? Let's look at how John talks about Jesus. Number one, he says that he is uh, the faithful witness. He's a faithful witness. He's trustworthy. He is reliable. Number two, he is the firstborn from the dead. He has risen from the dead. Number three, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He has power. He has strength. He has authority. He is the one who rules, the one who reigns. He is the one who set us free from our sin. He's our deliverer, our rescuer, our savior. He's the one who uh, made us a kingdom of priests. He made us a kingdom of priests. He gives us purpose. He gives us direction. He is coming back. He cares enough for us to come back for us. And he is worth waiting for. And so my question is, is, is this the Jesus that you know? Because this is not the picture of Jesus that we get from our culture. If you ask, I think if you ask the average person in our world who Jesus is, you get a picture of this like white dude in a bathrobe who's a nice teacher, a good guy, right? Maybe a little bit like Santa Claus, just kind of nice and is somebody you want to ask for nice things from. But that's not how the Bible describes Jesus. And what's so great about these descriptions is that they actually speak, I think, directly to some of the fears we have for our world today and some of the fears we have of the future and of end times and world events. Because if Jesus is a faithful witness, then we can trust what he says. We don't have to worry or doubt that he's lying, that he's wrong, that he's misinformed, that he's got some angle that he's trying to work to try and get us to think or do something a certain way. If he's a faithful witness, then we can just trust what he says and believe it and live our lives based on it. If Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, I can trust that there is a hope for the future because not even death can stop Jesus. Not even death is too powerful for him. If Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, then I can trust that no matter who gets elected president this year, no matter what kind of unrest is going on in the Middle East, no matter what kind of unrest is going on in Ukraine or whatever big thing is going to happen in 2024 that's going to be in the middle of the headlines, no matter what happens, Jesus is in charge. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus knows what he is doing. He's not caught off guard. He's not wondering about how he's going to handle this next thing. He's not caught unaware by world events. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing, and so I don't have to live in, in fear 
or worry or anxiety because my Jesus is on the throne. He is the one who's over the kings of men. So I don't have to worry and I don't have to fear. And so this picture of Jesus, I think, really changes everything for us. And so my question would be, do we actually know Jesus? The Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus that we make up in our head who kind of looks like us and agrees with us and makes us feel good, but the Jesus of the Bible. And if you don't know him today, we'd love to talk with you about how you can get to know him. As we've already said, the end of the world is coming and we don't know when. And to be ready, we need to know Jesus as our forgiver and our leader. It's imperative. I don't want to try and scare you into something because scare tactics are never helpful. Speaking of scare tactics, looks like somebody we all got an Amber Alert or something going on here, right? Weather Alert, okay. The government is trying to give us scare tactics right now, huh? <laughs> you know, I wish I could claim that I planned that. That would be really fun. I'm not that smart. Anyway, I don't want to scare you because scare tactics don't work, as the government is finding out right now. But I, I, I do want to let you know the reality of the situation, that Jesus is coming back. And in order to be prepared for that, we need to know him as forgiver, and we need to know him as leader. We need to know the real Jesus of the Bible. And again, if you uh, would like to talk with someone about that today, I'd love to have a conversation. As we continue on in Revelation, we see that that Jesus really has a specific message for seven different churches in Asia Minor. And each of these contains some specific instructions for them to live ready for his return. You see, each of these churches had an area that they needed to grow in, they needed to change in order to be ready for the return of Jesus. And so in Revelation chapter 2, he writes to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira. We're going to pretend I pronounced all those correctly and just move on. But in Revelation 3... He, uh, in Revelation chapter 3, he writes to Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And in each of these sections, Jesus gives uh, a reminder of who he is, a reminder of who they are, and some steps that they need to take in order to live ready. And at the end of each letter, Jesus clearly lays out one thought. He says to listen and understand. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't miss this. This is important, and you need to make sure that you are living in light of it. He repeats it. Listen and understand. It's repeated in chapter 2, verse 7, verse 11, verse 17, verse 29, chapter 3, verse 6, verse 13, verse 22. He repeats it at the end of these every single time. Listen and understand. Jesus really wants them to live in light of what he's saying. He wants them to lean into what he is saying. Don't miss this. And so this is really where we find our second step to living ready this morning. If we're going to live ready, not only do we need to know who Jesus is, but secondly, we need to obey what Jesus says. And again, I know that might not sound like super insightful or super end-timey, but it's incredibly important. It's what Jesus wanted to emphasize in each of his letters to these churches. To be ready for his return, we need to be obedient to what Jesus tells us to do. So we're going to skip to the, the last letter, chapter 3, verse 14, the, the letter to the church in Laodicea. And of the seven churches that Jesus writes to, Laodicea has often stuck out to people. And maybe one of the reasons why is that uh, it's the only letter that contains only condemnation for the church. There's no praise. Every other church gets something that Jesus says, hey, you guys are doing a great job with this. Laodiceans don't even get that. Um, And so maybe that's one of the reasons it has stuck out to people. 
Now, before we get to these verses, there are some really uh, important pieces of background information that we need to grasp, that we need to understand. And these are, there's a few things that Jesus says to them that seem to uh, reflect specific knowledge of the history or the situation of Laodicea, of this church and of this city. And so here's what I'd love for you to do. Uh, just strap on, put on your nerd hat maybe for a minute, um, because each one of these is actually going to be really helpful for us. Number one, the, the criticism of the Laodicean church that they are lukewarm, that they are neither hot nor cold, it probably alludes to the water situation in and around the city. See, in Hierapolis, which is a city about seven miles away, it was famous for its hot springs. And Colossae, which is about, uh, I think it was 11, yeah, 11 miles away, had a good supply of cold water. But in Laodicea, they didn't have their own springs. And so they didn't have hot, they didn't have cold water. They had to, uh, had to pipe it in from these other cities. They had to use aqueducts or pipes. And so by the time it got there, guess what it was? It was lukewarm. If you brought the hot water in, it got cold. If you brought the cold water over, it got warm. And no matter what they did, they ended up with lukewarm water. And Jesus says to them, your approach to following me in such a casual manner has made you virtually impossible for me to accept. I'd rather spit you out of my mouth. Like when you want something refreshing and you just get a mouthful of warm water, it's like, ugh, that's, that's not what I wanted at all. That's the kind of reaction Jesus has to this church. And secondly, Laodicea had become known as a banking center for this area. Over time, they had become uh, rather wealthy, and they were proudly able to proclaim in one of these verses, Jesus quotes them as saying, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. This is reflective of a, a the statement is reflective of a, an offer from Nero for financial assistance to rebuild the city after a earthquake in 60 AD. There was an earthquake, it was devastated, and uh, Nero offered to give them some money, and they said, you know what, we don't need your money. We're fine. We're prospered on our own, like we're, we're doing just fine, we don't need your money. And Maybe this is why Jesus calls them to buy gold from him. Since they were likely depending on their own wealth, Jesus tells them that real wealth, real value is found in a deepening relationship with him and producing fruit that matters for eternity, not just in having material things. Well, third, this area was known for having a medical school nearby where it is believed that a topical eye salve or eye ointment was developed and so people would travel to Laodicea simply to visit this school and get this, this eye ointment, the salve, to help with their different eyesight problems. And this is something the Laodiceans were very proud of. And in light of that, Jesus tells them to buy ointment for their eyes from him. In other words, you think that you have all the remedies, and you think that you can see, but really, you need to purchase salve from me so you can see what really matters. This very prosperous and developed location, Jesus clearly says, you've missed it. You've missed me. You've missed what's actually important, what actually matters. And then fourth, Laodicea was, was famous for its dyed wool. They had perfected this black dye um, that was very desired in uh, Asia and in Europe. And this is likely why Jesus tells the Christians there to buy white clothes from him so that they can cover their nakedness. You see, the Laodicean Christians thought that they were self-sufficient, that they needed nothing, and yet Jesus describes them as naked and wretched and miserable in other words, you think that you have all your needs met in your own strength. However, you're actually destitute and you are actually needy. And this is really an apt description of what it's like when we try to live without Christ. And so Jesus says, buy clothing from me and when you do, it'll be white clothing that will actually cover your shame. You've tried to do that on your own and you think that all these things are gonna somehow buy your way into it, but it's not going to work. And so this is the situation that Jesus was writing to. Let's look at what he says in chapter 3, verse 14, to this church in Laodicea. 
Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And yet you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And so I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Everyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. And so how can we in Halstead, Pennsylvania in 2024 listen to and understand what Jesus is saying to the churches? What can we learn from this letter to the Laodicean church. Well, I don't know all the details of your story. As I look at these verses and as I look at our lives, I think there's probably a lot more parallels than we might realize. They were physically rich, but spiritually poor because they weren't engaging people with hope, with help. They were physically clothed, but spiritually naked because they, were, they had depended on themselves rather than finding their identity in Christ and in resting in him and what he had done for them. They were healing others' physical eyes, but they couldn't see spiritually to invest in things that actually matter for eternity. And so Jesus says to them, stop wasting your life on these trivial things that aren't going to make a difference into eternity. Stop wasting your life. Jesus took everything they would have been proud of, and one by one, he told them it wasn't good enough. He like systematically went through everything that would have been their greatest accomplishments, the very things that would have been like, here, this is why we're important, this is why we're good, this is why we are self-sufficient, and we don't need anything, and he said, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough, not of lasting value, not of real importance. He took everything that they could humanly take pride in and said, no, it's not going to matter in eternity. And while we may not be proud of our eye ointment or our black dye, I think there are many things that we can take pride in that are going to prove worthless in eternity. Things that aren't of lasting value. Things that will not last into eternity. Everything from position to money to cars to comforts to our kids' academic or athletic performance to our possessions. We can take pride in all kinds of things that a few seconds into eternity, we're going to realize it didn't have lasting value, didn't have lasting meaning. And Jesus is saying, wake up, live for what really matters. We talked about this a little bit in, in November when we talked about living for the line and we gave you these, these bracelets as reminders that this life is, is short and eternity is long and so we should live for eternity. We should live for things that are going to have lasting value and that's pretty much what Jesus is saying to this church in Laodicea and I think that's what he's saying to Bridgewater Halstead today that we need to live for eternity. We're not gonna be ready for his return. If we're lukewarm, if we're self-sufficient, if we're preoccupied, if we're spiritually blind, if we're wasting our lives on things that aren't going to last. There's a lesson we can learn from this church. 
when you consistently neglect the spirit of God and the message of God, your passion for the things of God will decrease. This church had neglected God, they neglected his work, his word, and their passion, their excitement for things that really mattered had wavered, had diminished. They were neither hot nor cold. They were just kind of meh about God, about his word. And so don't be surprised if your passion for God and his word and his people fades as you ignore or as you neglect what he has said. Don't be surprised if you find yourself discouraged or having more and more trouble saying no to sin when you haven't been around God's people and you haven't been around his word or if you're just flat out ignoring what he says. Don't be surprised if your passion diminishes. Because when you consistently neglect the spirit of God and the message of God, your passion for the things of God, it will decrease. It will lessen. So to close, I'd, I'd like to ask two reflection questions. I'd encourage you to write down, maybe on your note sheet or on your phone, and, and consider these today and this week. What comforts keep you from living passionately for God? What nice things keep you from walking closely with God and obeying him? Not that those comforts are necessarily bad and not that you even necessarily need to totally remove them from your life, but what are those things that keep you from passionately living for Jesus? And what steps can you take to make sure that they don't distract you from what actually matters? It's going to make a difference for eternity. Secondly, what pursuits distract you from pursuing others for Christ? What things, again, they could even be good things, distract you from making a difference for eternity? from investing in the things that actually matter. And as we think about end times, I think we can get so caught up sometimes in, in like timelines and what's happening in our world and, and all this stuff and all these details that we forget. But Jesus has given us a very clear mission. He wasn't at all confusing when he said what we were supposed to be doing and what we're supposed to be focusing on. He was very clear and he was very specific in that. And I think honestly, this is yet another tactic of the enemy to try and distract us He would love to derail us from the mission that Jesus Christ has given to us. And so what pursuits distract you? What steps can you take to get back to living on mission? I would encourage you to take these questions and maybe discuss them with your family today. Maybe over lunch, maybe with a friend sometime this week. Or uh, if you're in a small group, I'd encourage you to to ask these questions with uh, the people in your small group. And if you're not in one yet... Uh, this would be a great time to join one as we begin January, as we begin 2024. Uh, this would be a great time to start being around a group of people who love you, who love God's word, and who are going to help you take your next step, and who can uh, honestly help you evaluate questions like this, and who can see things in your life that maybe you just can't see yet, and help you see it, and help point it out to you. We've also created a, a Bible study that's just a seven-day Um, study on these seven churches in Revelation. And so there's some paper copies of these available um, at the Welcome Center if you'd like to pick one up. Uh, And then we also made it available digitally. Uh, On your note sheet, there's a QR code. It's also right here. And so you could also access that online if you're uh, somebody who, like me, likes to put it on your iPad and and use it there or your phone or your computer or whatever. Um, You can access it there. But like I said, there's also paper copies. And and maybe you're um, just curious about these seven churches. Maybe as we talked about Laodicea, it just kind of piqued an interest and you want to learn more. Um, There's a, like I said, it's a seven-day study, so it's just a week. And maybe you um, would like to develop a habit of being in God's Word every single day this year. This might be a great start for you. 
it's just seven days. Um, and so it's something that's simple, it's easy to commit to, and, um, and so we'd en encourage you to take advantage of that again, either, whether digitally or pick up one of these paper copies um, at the Welcome Center. Church, I encourage us to be a people that is living ready for the return of Jesus because life is far too short, eternity is too long, and his return is far too important for us to waste our lives on things that do not matter. So let's live for what truly does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it um, gives us specific and clear direction um, in life and in what we need and what is most important. Uh, God, thank you for revelation. Thank you for these, these clear words to the church in Laodicea that really have so much application for us even today. God, I pray that we would be a church, that we'd be a people who are living for what truly matters. God, don't let us waste our lives on things that are gonna pass away. Don't let us waste our lives on things that aren't going to make a difference for eternity. Not that none of them matter and we can't ever spend any time on anything that's not e eternal, but God, help us not to waste our lives. We want to be a part of what you are doing. And you are out to change lives. So Father, I pray that we would join you on that mission. Father, thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you that he loved us enough to pursue us even when we were far from you. Pray that we do the same for people in our lives. So, in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.